0: So the phrase that uh, comes up this morning, as mentioned, touched on last night, independent, not clinging to anything in the world. Mm. And that's the, full, you know, the full, um, opening, the full completion of, of, uh, that, uh, process, sustained sati, mindfulness. Independent, not clinging to anything in the world. <clears throat> now we might, you know, as with any words, you probably immediately get some kind of understanding of it, um, but perhaps not the correct one. <laughs> That's the trouble with words. We think they mean something. <laughs> For a start, this is a translation. <coughs> From the Pali, and every translation carries its particular nuances, and uh, and sometimes misses the, the the nuances in the original, which the Pali. And Pali itself is not, probably not original either; <laughs> it's a constructed language, but very close to what the Buddha talked. Mm. So, not clinging to anything in the world, mm. and the Upadana is the Pali word for clinging, and it means something like feeding on, adopting, taking as a basis, um, identifying with. And Buddhas often use very uh, striking language like cling is a very graphic felt experience, isn't it? It's a certain grip to that. It's not an abstract sense. Identifying is a bit abstract. The Buddha was great at using these very Vivid uh, language pieces, uh, words, clinging, gives you the sense of something's really unnecessary, you know, and and a little bit desperate about it. Um, The world, the world here is loke, loka, or I think the phrase here is loke, that particular tense, and that doesn't really refer to planet Earth. We might also have certain senses of what it means by the world or oh, that's um, you know daily life, uh, public business, politics, economics and so forth. We should therefore ignore all that. Um, and translate it that way as a sense. doesn't seem to be the case. Um, Buddha himself uh, certainly taught kings and ministers and gave advice on political matters on ethics, he even gave advice to the businessmen about the best way to conduct business. So he certainly wasn't, you know, shutting all that off. Mm. Uh, so it doesn't mean the planet Earth, it doesn't mean a particular sphere of activities. It means something further reaching and more profound than that. And, or any of those can be uh, the world. The world is... Our domain, our concerns, our personal world. Mm -hmm. Very often this is um, (coughs) mapped out as either the world of the sense basis, sight, sound, uh, sight, sound, touch, taste, fragrance, mm, and thought, senses. These construct worlds, don't they? you know, you get from the basic signals of your eyes, construct a three-dimensional world. (laughs) Your eye working with your brain constructs a three-dimensional world out of what is not three-dimensional. I mean, where's the distance? You don't see distance, you infer it. I mean, you don't do it deliberately, it happens by itself. That is, I recognize you're not actually two inches high, you're <laughs> four feet high but sitting so far away from me. <laughs> yeah. And so it creates distance, space, dimensionality. That's what the eye so that between the eye and the and the mind or the brain, this this mixture generates a visual world that we seem to live within. Hmm. Yeah. And as I was saying earlier when we are talking about the sense bases, the, the auditory world is rather different because you don't have space in that. It doesn't infer space. Mm. It infers, uh, I mean, you can get it roughly by the volume, but that sound could be a, you know an insect buzzing close to by or it could be an airplane three miles away. What is that? What does it remind me of? What occurs is that the sense data is transferred to to the brain in a particular... What is this like? Perception, it's called. That is something, an immediate sense experience is related to a pre-existent reference. That reminds me of... And this happens quite instinctively. Sometimes you can see it just, what is that, for a moment before you get it. The world, it's constructed, essentially. It's a constructed experience. We construct it through our sense doors. We don't even deliberately do it. It just (coughs) happens. If the sense doors are functioning properly. Of course, they don't always function properly. Hallucinations, disease, neural damage. And suddenly the world gets a very strange place. Even if the... Chemistry in the brain changes. We get different emotional tones, feel frightened of things just because the brain has changed. An interesting example is a person who had a a neural problem whereby it was to do with the, the nerves associated with his eyes touched into or related to connected to the synapses that collected to, to the emotional centres in his brain but the auditory ones didn't so the situation came up with his mother would phone him up he talked on the phone who's this woman who's this woman pretending to be my mother because he could hear the voice but he didn't get the emotional sense Then he'd go to see his mother and say "Hi, oh, mum There's this strange woman who's sounding just like you talking to me on the phone. (laughs) Because he didn't get that emotional nuance, he didn't recognise the voice as her. Interesting, is it? So, when you see something, you see, but you also... The brain, the mind, throws its own piece into familiarity, attractiveness, ease, friendship, hostility... Threat, you yeah. know, all those get thrown in. This is the construct, and it's constructed. The word for this in Nepali is sankara or Sankara, deeply constructed. And this goes back to that uh, rather difficult word sankara that keeps cropping up here and there. Constructed, fabricated, formed. The world is a formed, constructed experience. And the sense door, the senses, in that construction, generate, I am here, everything else is there. I am separate from the world. The world is around me, it's out there, I'm in here. Yeah, Very normal, isn't it? Well, you find out where you are in there. Uh, you cut one of these bodies open, there's nobody inside it. Nobody living behind your eyes. <laughs> nobody up in your head. Where are you? It's, that is constructed. Right? And based upon that construction, all kinds of attitudes and reflexes occur. That's called clinging. That means it's adopted. It's taken as real, it's taken as solid. By and large, for functioning, the sense world, yeah, that's about right. You know, it works. And yet, within the nuances of separation, other people, other things out there, generate all kinds of interesting and tense signals, don't they? Loss. Gain. Loss. Approval. Disapproval. Uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Threat. Out there. I'm in here. And around that signal, body reflexes kick in. We tense up. We reach out. We try to get. We deeply want to be bonded to. You want to find a place in in what you're in it. but your world is now also being constructed through the sense of loss, the sense of separation, the sense of not belonging. The sense of doors, the sense of fields, whatever however you feel are functioning will always generate that sense of you're outside of this. And yet, outside of it, and yet also deeply affected by it. So you're neither completely in it, nor completely out of it. (laughs) You're on the edge, with things pouncing into you, and the possibility of maybe reaching out and getting something. That's a precarious position. It gets us very edgy. So all those nuances are not created through the senses doors alone but through the link up to to the brain to the mind to the heart to our to the things we've learnt or acquired adopted taken on the sense of gaining something which we take on the nuance the impression of gaining something gaining gaining what having something having having something? Do you have a car? What do you mean you have it? Do you go to bed with it? <laughs> Does it come running after you? Is it welded to your skin? What happens in six years time you get a new one, have something and you've died? What do you, mean, what do you think you had it? <laughs> and yet that the bonding instinct, because of the sense of separation, is also a very strong wanting to bond to something, to find ourselves, we've got it, we're here, we're stable, we're we're, we're right in it. And you can't have it. You can't have any of it. But you want to have something. What about a, a car? What about a person? That would be much better. Can I have a person, please? <laughs> Preferably the right one. Well, that's going to be a real game, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I'm just getting these perceptions and nuances and impressions, and she's getting these perceptions, and, and they're probably completely different. You know, and you can kind, of kind of mesh and think you you have. I don't well, that's got to change, isn't it? You know, have, but you you exist with, you coexist with, you sort of mesh and interact, and it sort of works, and you learn something. <laughs> you don't have anything, but when you don't have anything, you also you don't lose anything. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. That's what independent means. It doesn't mean there's nothing there. It just means those actions, those gestures, and the nuances that support those gestures, the nuances, the impressions of gaining, having, belonging, which are deeply embedded because of the sense of separation. That's going to get us out of it. They don't have to be inferred. They don't have to happen. And therefore, the psychologies of needing, grasping, holding on don't have to happen. This is why, you know, as John Meta was saying yesterday, you know, really the perception of impermanence: everything is fluid, nothing's held, everything comes and goes. You know, really drinking that in, and remember these these messages, these signals, these impressions don't change at the drop of a hatch. Just beginning the word. You've got to learn it, learn it very deeply. And because the sense of separation which the sense doors create for us is so poignant for people, this is a very difficult trigger to undo. In that sense of separation we feel quite lost, alone, uh, rejected, very painful. So we want to hold. Now you don't say, you don't stop that for saying don't do it or it's wrong to do it or you're stupid for doing it. It doesn't happen that way. Mm. You yeah. know? This is the worst kind of thing to do. They did this to babies in you know, a period of time. People were just, people were kind of raising children for millennia, doing perfectly well and somebody decided they'd figure it out. The best way to do it. Said, well, you know, you should to into babies, you shouldn't let them sleep with their parents because it creates an unhealthy bonding. So all these poor little toddlers got put in cots in another room and totally freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> because they, they're not getting the sense of, you know, what it takes to get over being born, being separate. You know, some sense of there's somebody here for you, you can come out of that, you yeah? know. So we don't cut clinging like that because, in fact, we don't even cling. You know that adopting of things is is a kind of basic response that you only get weaned of through finding a sense of refuge, security, safety, fulfillment somewhere else. You yeah. Now, so that that's not in the world. That's not in the constructed. Because the constructed can never be saved, because you have to, because it has to be constructed. The real saved is in the unconstructed. And then you can, oh, just here it is already. I don't have to keep doing it and getting it going, yeah. You know? And so this is in a synopsis. That's you know the Buddha's teaching, isn't it? There's the unborn, unconditioned, unconstructed, uncreated. That's your. That's the best place to be. This is where the world dissolves. Hmm. So, as it said, you know, this, you don't get to the end of the world by travelling. I would also say you don't get to the end of the world by trying to get to the end. You know, by try, rejecting it, you get to the end of the world by noticing it arising and ceasing in your awareness. And the world with meaning first. Of all, we might say. One expression of the world is the sense doors, sense fields, sights, sounds, touches, passing through. Notice the nuances that occur with those, desirable, undesirable, interesting, boring. See if we can persist with mindfulness past those signals, acknowledging those signals and staying steady. What is it that stays steady through that? What is it? that can stay steady through it. That is the door to the deathless. There can be any degree of supervision, reflection, non-reaction to the flushing and flooding of the world. It doesn't mean hostility, it means non-reaction. The fact that we, that, that is possible is an indication that every one of us has the door half open to the deathless. The is just saying, I invite you to open it wide and walk right in. But, uh, you know, like learning to swim, you stick your toe in, well, yeah, put your foot in, maybe, put your leg in, well, wade in, well, have a splash around, take one foot off, it takes time before you get the sense of trust in it. And that's totally healthy because if you don't do it in a progressive trusting way people can go very strange <laughs> you know flip out essentially because you haven't really your your capacity for sustained dispassionate awareness is not yet developed adequately to keep you to keep you floating in that space and this is what we're doing in in our meditation practice through all the grit of it those signals come rushing through the system you know hour after hour why doesn't he ring the bell this has been three hours i've been sitting here my knees are killing me i'm gonna die i'm depressed i'm going mad i'm gonna to starve to death no sugar my blood I'm crazy you know, you know and just there here we are here we are yeah. <laughs> you know there's that signals going Really running through because we're not no longer in our own known worlds, you know, sort of place where we can organize the range things that suits my sense apparatus and my nuances, what I like, what I feel comfortable with. So everything starts to go into a bit of orange, pink alert. The world. Another, <clears throat> so then you see this, but then you also see, um, Later on in the sutra, it says, and somebody asked about this, worldly feeling, non-worldly feeling. Well, actually, this is a different word. Here, um, translators obviously trying to find something that's going to work for people. Because the Pali word is, uh, samisa niramisa, which means roughly uh, that which is associated with flesh and that which is not associated with flesh. What does that mean, you know? Well, essentially, um, Flesh has an interesting capacity <laughs> called touch. Yeah? And it, it generates feeling. Hmm? Now the visual sense doesn't do that. The auditory sense doesn't generate feeling. It has to link up to the mind to do that, to get a feeling. You see something and that's registered as a perception in the mind. And that perception in the mind generates a feeling. The sight doesn't do it. The perception does it. And there's a, just pause around that. And you can play with this. Okay. So, like the other day, I was just for example one that really pops into my mind. I was outside, and somebody walking along wearing these nice big boots. Rain, you know, muddy ground, <laughs> big boots. Those boots that look really good to me. Really good boots. I looked at those boots and "You must feel so." The senses of assurance, comfort, dry feet—all those things came in. Those boots. Those boots are great. I want a pair. <laughs> <laughs> now, okay. Let's say those the same boots. Go to your room. Take your clothes off. Put those boots on and jump in a shower. <laughs> do those boots look interesting? What an idiot! <laughs> this looks completely out of, you know, out of touch. Ugly! What a th- ugly thing to do. Stick on your feet. Those boots have lost their sit. <laughs> they call it poor old boots. Same boots. <laughs> one time they make you look really heroic. Another time you look like a complete nitwit. Perceptions, the eyes see the same thing, don't they? The mind adds its interpretations. And a big lot of stuff happens around that, doesn't it? You know, over fashions, styles, what's attractive, what's unattractive, what clothes are attractive, what shapes are attractive, what body shapes are attractive, you know? Just the eyes see shapes and colors and the mind creates this stuff around it. And it can be really, really uh passionate and very desperate to make sure that, you know, your clothing style or your body shape is online with what the people are saying is good this time round. <laughs> and that's gonna change every year. So they can flog you another set of gear next year <laughs> they decided the stuff that was really you know, number one last year, which you've spent hundred and fifty quid on buying. Well, next year that's out, so you can spend fifty quid on buying the next lot of gear. <laughs> the way it goes, because of mental nuances. Isn't it good just to see things as they are? Shape is shape, colour is colour. And get down to function. Yeah, boots are for keeping your feet wet. You don't need them in the feet dry, you don't need them in the shower, take them off, that's all. Yeah. this is we say become the independ- little bit of independence in the world because the world is constructed through the eyes and uh, there and the feeling tone and the feeling comes from mental perception with those organs now the other place that feeling arises from is from the body You know, the eyes don't feel, the ears don't feel, the tongue doesn't feel, the nose doesn't feel, the body does feel. Mm. So, um, what the Buddha is saying here is there a kind of feeling that arises in association with physical contact or touch, or even inferred touch. You see something, you think, well, nice to stroke that. You infer touch. So you get that. And a particular energies that happen around that. Basically we want to bond to it, hold it. If it's pleasant feeling or we shrink from it. Sets up those signals. And this is this is feeling associated with um, the world, or in this sense the world actually means the flesh. That which is not associated with it is mental feeling. And particularly In this instance, it's the mental feeling is isn't derived or nuanced from the sense doors, but nuanced from itself. The mind itself. What is that? If it's not to do with based upon a sight or a sound or a touch, what is the mind's own feeling? Well, intentionality is one of them. So if I yeah. If I feel a sense of honesty arising in myself, that's come from the mind and I feel a little bit brighter. If a sense of generosity arises, I feel rather there's a good feeling. And the Buddha say these are very important bases of feeling to track because you have complete you have some say over that. You don't really have much say over sights and sounds and touches, but you have say over intentionality. Courage, patience, generosity, loving-kindness, compassion. So this space of feeling you should not ignore. In fact, you should indulge in it. (laughs) You should, you know, spoil yourself with it. (laughs) Because this will help to redress the balance. You won't be needing feeling from touch and mental things, your own visual things, inferences. You'll be feeling something, you'll feel quite happy and and clear. Another place of mental feeling hmm, is associated with different states of consciousness. Hmm. So mental consciousness can be quite refined, sensitive, light. Open, has a pleasant feeling with it. It can be aggressive, forceful, intentions like that, rather unpleasant feeling. Mm. So states of mind also evoke feeling. And he's saying again seek your own welfare, indulge, don't be afraid. Get right in there and get as much good feeling as you can, but it's going to come through calm, through brightness, through generosity, yeah, through deep attention. You're going to find a basis for feeling that will mean that you you're so satisfied with that that sights and sounds are just wallpaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay doesn't matter that much. And then you're in something where you are a little more independent from that constructed world. And that's the kind of basis of how renunciation can happen. Now, when we're, you know, the cream of meditation is when you're starting to get past the rough stuff and with a system is so kind of clogged and tightened up and you know dull and groggy you're starting to get into where it begins to flow very very important to however whatever system works for you to get into the flow where the mental feeling is starting to you're starting to get some say over it i can calm i can ease i can bless i can forgive i can love i can be clear you know any of these intentions and mind states are going to support um, agreeable feeling. You notice them. You notice how they arise. You have some say over generating them. You notice them as they are. You also notice they are also constructed. Therefore, you don't cling to them as saying, I have to have this, I am this, why don't I have it? you know, because you identify with I'm I'm supposed to be blissed out and cheerful all the time. You know, you say, no, I'm not. That's not a given that you have to do some work for. And you have to do this deep, intimate, very sincere, very honest work and clear work of disengaging the basis of stress agitation panic demand defeat overwhelmed you know, that generates so much unpleasant mental feeling that in fact you're more or less forced to get out into the senses to counteract it and that I would say is the plight of the <laughs> average person <laughs> is a you know, the mental, the pressures and the stresses and the demands and the overwhelm and the out of control. We're in a system that's just whirling away and you're kind of floundering to try to catch up with it and you never win. At the end of the day, there's still more to do and there's a feeling of defeated. <sighs> I hope it's not too bad for you. But it can, it can get like that at times, can't it, for some people? End up is so defeated they end up just drink themselves to death or kill themselves. It just I can't be around anymore. So you're forced to out onto the senses to provide one with the requisite of agreeable feeling. Now meditation should kind of come through the stiffness of the system and the, he's going to touch into that why it's you know really aim for that don't get too strapped down by a technique hmm. basically because all the all the techniques i do other people do that you see in the books for you they're abstract they're ideas there's no way I can bring that across except through words and ideas. Maybe I could embody it a bit. But there'll be an inference. And along with that inference will come certain mm, unintended suggestions like you should do this. You should feel this. You should be able to do this. Why aren't you getting that? What's wrong with you? <laughs> I won't be doing it, but something in you probably picks up that kind I can't... I can 't sit there like he does like struggle I've got to get it's good you know and then because you're really not relating to what it has to be related to. and these uh, these whenever we set up something abstract, you've got to be aware of what the mind can do with that. We are very much in the tyranny of the abstract, in the tyranny of numbers, as I've said before. The numbers tyranny uh, yeah whenever we start to do something, we get into the performance tyranny. get to the top of the class as quick as possible. Don't dawdle and kind of fudge around, but that's the good person mm. yeah. what do we what do we do with that? We generate. Mild panic. And uh, the average state of the city dweller, I would suggest, is is kind of sustained panic, manageable panic, to get on to the next, to rush to the next, to feel at the end of the day there's still five other things to do. And, And those mental nuances are not just in the mind because the mind feels, and this is the other bit about feeling, what the mind feels, the body feels, what the body feels, the mind feels. Right, What you feel in your mind is going to hit in your body. What you feel in your body is going to affect your mind. Now, the relationship is like that. When I talk about mind, I don't mean your thinking. I mean, your, your you could say your heart, your awareness, your, you know, your sense of who you are. The other thing to recognize about the nature of feeling and the kind of adopting it that occurs... The mental feeling, however poignant, is innately uh, mutable. It's shifting. That's the mind's nature. The mind, as you probably recognize, doesn't stay still for a second. (laughs) It's a continual wave formation. Patterns and senses and moods and dreams and images and instincts and intuitions and spaces and densities. All kinds of textures and tones that perhaps we don't even have words for. It's much more than emotions. Hmm. Sense of spaciousness, sense of, kind of, what's this grey, grisly fog I've been sitting in? Is that, what is that? What's the emotion around that? It goes deeper than emotion. Hmm. What the mind feels, the body feels. even if you don't have words for it and this can be the case in meditation we're in states that we can't what do I feel kind of mm, like a pot of lukewarm glue <laughs> <laughs> with lumps in it what's that <laughs> that's you're <laughs> reading what's happening on the bodily sense hmm what the mind feels, the body feels. It's also very changeable, with a word, with a smile, with a burst of sunshine. Oof, changed. Very changeable in the mind. How come something seems so stuck? How come when we're in a panic, it takes a little while to settle down again? How come when... Uh, you feel that there's a sense that's generating a mind state of anxiety, there's an unpleasant feeling that stays there. Sometimes for a lifetime. For a lifetime. So you don't really know what in what the word means because you're always in it. That's because it's gone into your body. And the body Firms up mental signals. It starts to, on the synapses and so forth, it links up mental feeling, bodily feeling, and then the body kind of encapsulates, takes a photograph of that—not a visual photograph, but a bodily impression. So the results are that our on our wiring in our bodies begins to. Adopt those patterns, those mental feelings and perceptions and signals as an, as the norm. This is how I am, and I don't really can't really even judge it because I'm in it so many times, so often, all the time. I haven't got anything to see it from till you see somebody else. And they go, well, he doesn't he doesn't operate the same way as I do. Hmm, you know. Two so of you see the same thing, and somebody's getting really excited. The other person is going, "Well, mm-hmm, doesn't doesn't hit me like that." I know people who feel guilty about everything. If they can't find anything to be guilty about, they feel guilty. They're not feeling guilty enough. I don't know what generated that one, but some of this, I would suggest, is gets embedded very early. In uh, in your fundamental signals as you come into life, there is mother, there is father, and whatever they're carrying gets into you mm. and the world around you. you yeah. yeah. a lot of that is good. Most of it is good. Some of it's not. Anyway, none of this doesn't have to be absolutely fixed, but it, it can be rather stuck and uh, in the social environment we can have lots of signals about urgency, accomplishment getting places, failing to get good enough and all that gets signal. those signals get embodied into a rather tense and nervy pattern, bodily pattern and so this is and then that's adopted, there's the clinging you don't decide, oh, here's some panic, I think I'll cling to that, it clings. So really the, the pro- more accurate way of saying it is there are bases that are affected by clinging. Nobody clings. There's nobody clinging. So if you don't feel guilty about clinging. You have to recognise there's that experience of cleaving to, of holding to, of tightening up around, of rejecting, of forcing away, of believing in something. Believing in a mental pattern as being myself. Interesting. That's actually not me. That's a program. That's another way of looking at Sankara. Constructed is programmed. It's programmed in. With some investigation and some encouragement and sustained attention and appropriate intentionality, it's possible to change the programming. Mm. Yes, you yeah. know, possible to change it so that what is not clinging, or the clinging is not happening, or at least the really defective stuff isn't happening. Maybe we adopt something else that's a little more wholesome. Maybe it starts to form around that. But as you get more satisfied and secure, you also get a little bit looser and freer to, okay, I can be with an unpleasant feeling without, you know, getting stuck in it. I can be getting it wrong without going into a whole tribunal about it. (laughs) I can handle people not liking me without going into a huge, you know, fault finding mission or defending myself. That's her problem. I don't know. Maybe they're right. (laughs) (laughs) But what can I do? If you're looking out to try to change other people's perceptions of you, it's going to be a long road, isn't it? All you can start to keep doing is clearing the fear, the anxiety, and just bring up the skillful intention. May I be well, may you be well. That's all I have to say. Really. So this, ways of then deconstructing clinging, you know, I'd say the primary one is right there, As so many things are, we skip over, in what's called right intent, the intent of goodwill, the intent of compassion, the intent of, the intent to... Let go of the sense world, not to reject it, but just to be a little more careful, to not buy into it, to not feel you have to follow its signals. called long word renunciation sounds heavy, like a lot of these nuances are it means sangwara restraining, gathering yourself back into center. This is not this is pleasant. <laughs> It's not associated with ill will or ideology. It's pleasant. Otherwise the Buddha wouldn't have taught it. If it wasn't for your welfare and didn't make you feel better and wasn't true, the Buddha wouldn't have taught it. It's only because it's like that and that you can do it that he taught it. When we say the fundamental intention, and perhaps we should have said this right at the beginning, you know, come to think of it, is goodwill. Why do we meditate? Hopefully, we meditate to make ourselves come to a more agreeable state of being. Isn't that a good intention? Yeah. But take it slowly that state of being will happen by itself if you sustain, first of all, quality of goodwill, kindness towards yourself and others. That's the, that's the first, we would say, the first intent. That's the first step. It's like being born. You know, you come into the thing you need, the sense that there's something's receiving you in a pleasant, benevolent way. Refuge, shelter... Yeah, da 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 da. Yeah. Although these things are there outside, you know, hopefully you do feel welcomed and so forth. But what really counts is that you're doing that yourself. You're constantly doing that yourself. And one way of bringing this to mind is to recognize that all of us every day receive some degree of goodwill. Somebody says, oh, how are you doing? Oh, please sit down. Here's some food. Mm. Somebody opens the door. We may not notice that. We We may be so absorbed in, you know, how I am and what I'm not and so forth, we don't really notice goodwill. Therefore, emphasize it. Notice when it's happening. There is any gesture of gratitude or respect or of sharing or of interest in another person, even his offering his teachings. I really I act from goodwill. There's nothing else there. Looking not, not expecting to get a promotion <laughs> It's one of those jobs you always wanted to retire from, but it's just goodwill that keeps putting you back in it again, <laughs> because that's that's what it that's the requirement for this human condition, isn't it? In a separative thing, and you see other beings, like I was saying the other day, so and so has Alzheimer's. Okay, what does that do? If we don't just Somebody, somebody. What does that do? You linger. How we would love to help that person. How we'd love to take that anguish away from them. I don't know her. Still, really love to do that. because most of the time we don't have that perception towards others and towards yourself recognize we're all brothers and sisters not separate in a world in this experience of distress, pain, difficulty guilt, worry, anxiety how I'd love to, to, to take that away to wash that away Towards others. Now, can that be coming back to yourself? Not to change yourself, but to feel it's possible that somebody else has felt that for you? And what did that feel like, if you're really open to that? Somebody else has taken pleasure in seeing you, in seeing what they can do for you. What does that feel like? Every one of us has had that. Many times, I imagine. It may have been for a few moments before we, our attention switched on to something else. Linger in it. lingering the meaning of goodwill. Of kindness. The most fundamental uh, trigger of human beings. The fear of losing it instead of fearing losing it couldn't we enjoy its presence and by generating ourselves take responsibility for it whether anybody else likes whatever they think however good I'm doing I will not move into ill will guilt judgment criticism aversion towards myself it's that in fact I will seek to support myself to be a good friend to myself I will use that as the fundamental platform if you like, to build my practice upon and we start to just touch into that and maybe spend a few moments even taking in how that feel in your mind how it affects your body Perhaps something you starts to relax soft a little bit. Notice the pieces that do where it does. Okay is it does it affect your breathing? really important when you come into any state that's that's benevolent, agreeable, to sense, as you're experiencing that, what's happening in the breathing now. Because the breathing is called the Kaya Sankara, the, the important word Sankara, it's that which conditions the body. Mm. So if we get that quality of goodwill, of loving-kindness, of deeply respecting and comforting ourselves, feel what the breathing is like when that impression becomes felt, not just an idea, you'll be able to, that by breathing it, it takes form. It turns from this very mutable realm of the mind, into something more deeply established because it goes into the body and the body firms up mental states and feelings through this way through this we're able to form, generate a body a felt body of good will it doesn't adopt enmity, bitterness, cynicism, inadequacy. It doesn't adopt it. You built something strong. Goodwill, honesty. So you feel something. You shrinks from dishonesty. Something you, you feel yourself really. Ugh. This is, so this comes from more than an idea. The idea is important. The idea generate a perception, a sign, a signal to it several times, many times, get the feeling for it. How's it, how's the breathing now? Touch into it. Because that's where the mental signal mental impression can get embodied. because it's embodied this is how you get this is how Samadhi arises. the process is very loosely very briefly speaking get happy breathe into that there's Samadhi not do the best you can to get some Samadhi and eventually you'll get happy. No, that's called panic (laughs) (laughs) Wrong signal Get happy (laughs) Really happy in the places that give you the greatest happiness Breathe that Your mind's not going to want to go anywhere else That's not going anywhere else That's skillful collectedness and a collectedness that's not just the kind of interesting mindset, it's a, it's a transformation of how you're wired. You begin to really get the sense of what's solid and real, what's transitory, what's worth being with, what just let it skim over. So you begin to get a sense of separateness, a sense of independence from... First of all, very important, this sense world, triggering. Let's pause here for the day.